Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Thursday, December 21st, 2023. All right, so I apologize for not doing a show yesterday. I got hit with a pretty bad stomach virus, so it's not something I could really work through. And then I had a really high fever today, but I'm pretty much recovered now. I'm still a little out of it, so I'll do my best here. Um, But first, I want to go over just a couple stories from yesterday's page um, that we missed. So one thing was the Houthis' reaction to the U.S. launching this military operation, this new international coalition in the Red Sea. The Houthis said that they won't back down in defense of Gaza. So Yemen's Houthis responded to the U.S. launching a new military operation in the Red Sea by vowing that attacks on commercial shipping in the region will continue even if the U.S. mobilizes the entire world. The U.S. launched a 10-nation naval task force dubbed Operation Prosperity Garden after major shipping companies began pausing Red Sea transits due to the Houthi attacks. So it's 10 nations, including the U.S. Bahrain is the only regional country, um, and they're not on the Red Sea, but they're the only Arab country that has joined in on this coalition. Uh, So Mohammed al-Bukaiti, he is a senior member of the Houthis Political Bureau. He said, quote, even if America succeeds in mobilizing the entire world, our military operations will not stop, no matter the sacrifices it costs us. America's announcement of the establishment of the Coalition of Shame will not prevent us from continuing our military operations until the crimes of genocide in Gaza are stopped and food, medicine, and fuel are allowed to enter its besieged population, end quote. So that's what they've been saying all along is that the only way to get them to stop is for a ceasefire in Gaza. So the Houthis are vowing to target all commercial shipping going to and from Israeli ports. They've also fired missiles and drones at Israeli territory. In some cases, U.S. warships have intervened and intercepted uh, Houthi attacks. And um, so definitely an area to really keep an eye on here. It does seem like things can really uh, potentially explode. Depending, especially there's more, I believe there's been more reports about the U.S. considering directly bombing the Houthis in Yemen. Um, So we'll see what happens. Um, And another thing, so there's big news uh, related to Julian Assange. Uh, He is an appeal hearing set for February. So this article is from Consortium News from Joe Loria. And it says, imprisoned publisher Julian Assange will face two high court judges over two days On February 20th to the 21st in 2024, and this is going to happen in London in what will likely be his last appeal against being extradited to the United States to face charges of violating the Espionage Act. Assange's wife, Stella Assange, confirmed that the hearing will take place at the Royal Courts of Justice. Assange had an earlier request to appeal rejected by High Court Judge Jonathan Swift on June 6th. Assange then filed an application to appeal that decision, and the dates have now been set. Assange is seeking to challenge both the Home Secretary's decision to extradite him, as well as to cross-appeal the decision by the lower court judge, Vanessa Barrister. Barrister has had ruled in January 2021 to release Assange from Belmarsh Prison and deny the U.S. request for extradition based on Assange's mental health. 
his uh, the chances of him to commit suicide and the conditions of U.S. prison. So the original ruling was that he should not be extradited, that he should be released. But then the U.S. appealed her decision, issuing diplomatic assurances that Assange would not be mistreated in prison. The high court, after a two-day hearing in March 2022, accepted those assurances and rejected Assange's appeal. So this does seem to be his last chance to, to avoid extradition to the U.S. for the crime of exposing U.S. war crimes. That's why they want to lock him up. And he could face up to 175 years in prison under the Espionage Act for doing journalism. Um, Okay, so now to get into today's page, the top story at antiwar.com, Gaza death toll at 20,000, likely to be even higher. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone. He did some extra writing today. After 10 weeks of Israeli military operations in Gaza, authorities have counted 20,000 dead Palestinians. An overwhelming number of the dead are innocent civilians with no ties to Hamas. An aid group warns the actual death toll is likely higher as thousands of missing Gazans lay dead or dying under the rubble. Israeli officials say civilian deaths are part of eliminating Hamas. Um, So there's a press release from the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs saying that, basically saying that the the death toll is likely much higher um, because of all the people under the rubble. And according to Gaza's government media office, the dead includes 8,000 children and 6,200 women, and at least 50,000 people have been wounded in these strikes. And that's another big number, and considering how, how the health systems have collapsed um, you know, a lot of those people aren't getting proper treatment. There's a lot of people that are maimed, you know, a lot of children that are going to be crippled for life because of this. Um, just really horrific stuff. So an Israeli official told reporters on Wednesday that the mass destruction of civilian targets in Gaza is part of Israel's strategy of defeating Hamas. Reuters reported a legal advisor to the Israeli Defense Forces said that the Israeli military was carrying out Thousands and thousands of attacks and often attacks that require heavy firepower to destroy tunnels under Gaza used by Hamas. Um, And Kyle mentions that report from 972 magazine that basically said the civilian, you know, they're purposely targeting civilians. It's part of their strategy. And that's how, um, so over 20,000 in in just over two months of this and uh, no sign of, of things slowing down. All right, so the next one here, hostage talks resume, but several hurdles remain. This is another one from Kyle. Israel and militant groups based in Gaza have resumed talks on reaching an agreement that would see Israeli hostages released. However, the party's demands remain far apart. So according to the Wall Street Journal, the talks will be held in Egypt and include representatives from Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. That's PIJ. That's another militant group. Based in Gaza, they took part in the October 7th attack, and they are also holding some hostages. I'm not sure exactly how many. It's um, I know it was less than Hamas initially. Um, so Egyptian officials say Israel's demanding Hamas release 40 captives, including all women, children, and elderly men with compromised health, in exchange for a one-week pause in fighting. But Hamas is apparently seeking a two-week pause in fighting. And that's according to this Wall Street Journal report. Um, Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh, he met with Iranian officials on Tuesday and said that the group was actually seeking a permanent ceasefire. 
So it seems like they're pretty far apart on what they want here. And now, um, you know, we're kind of hearing different things from different Hamas officials and different reports. So it's not exactly clear what what they're asking for. I know some Hamas officials have said they're not going to even negotiate until Israel stops its uh, assault on Gaza. But it appears that the the talks are are happening now. Um, so another Hamas official, Ghazi Hamed, said, "Quote: Our vision is very clear. We want to stop the aggression. What is going on in the ground is a big catastrophe." End quote. So another Hamas official saying that they want. Sounding like he's saying that they want a permanent ceasefire. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says a permanent end to the war with Hamas is not possible as Israel is determined to eradicate the group. Netanyahu said, quote, whoever thinks we will stop is detached from reality. All Hamas terrorists from the first to the last are dead men walking, end quote. Um, so that's one thing, you know, the. Israel is saying that their goal, Netanyahu is saying that their goal is to eradicate Hamas. And you have the U.S. saying that they're going to support Israel to make sure Hamas cannot govern Gaza, which is a different goal. And it's interesting because Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, and Charles, uh, General Charles Brown, the new Joint Chiefs Chairman, he's also said this, basically saying, the, you know, these tactics that they're using, trying to eliminate Hamas and killing all these people, you're basically creating more of them. But so it's interesting that they say that yet still provide this unconditional military support for what Israel is doing. All right. So the next one here, Israeli hostage begged troops for help days before mistaken shooting. So this article is from the Times and it's about the three Israeli hostages who were killed by IDF troops inside Gaza. The Israeli Defense Forces says it has recovered footage from a GoPro camera that shows one of the three hostages it mistakenly killed last week, shouting for help five days before being shot. It was captured when a dog with a camera attached was sent in, into a building after IDF troops came under fire from inside. The animal was killed, but the camera kept rolling, and it recorded the voice of one of the hostages, believed to be Alan uh, Shamriz, shouting help in Hebrew and saying that there were hostages there as their captors were killed by IDF troops in the battle. The dog's feed was apparently not being monitored, and the troops left the area. Five days later, the three hostages tried to approach IDF troops and were shot dead. The video was found only two days ago when the dog's body was retrieved. Um... So just another, I guess they were on their own for five days because it says that their captive captors were killed. And when they tried to approach the IDF, they were shot dead. Um, oh, that's another thing uh, about the hostage talks because Netanyahu was saying he wasn't going to resume those talks, but I think it was because of all the, backlash that came after they killed those three Israeli hostages. I think that's the reason why they are resuming them um, to get more because people are, you know, basically demanding that they, they do more to get the hostages released and not kill them. Um, all right. So Israeli tank fired at building housing Israelis on October 7th. So this article is from Middle East Eye and it says an Israeli tank struck a house where Hamas fighters were holding Israeli hostages during the October 7th surprise attack on southern Israel, according to the Israeli daily Haaretz. The conclusion drawn from footage released by Channel 12 has yet to be confirmed by the Israeli army. 
The report said a tank that arrived at Kibbutz Berry hours after the massacre began on October 7th fired shells toward the home of Posse Cohen, where Hamas terrorists were barricaded with Arab-Israeli residents. Um, so we've had eyewitness accounts saying this, that at this kibbutz, there was Israeli tank fire, fired on a house where there were hostages and, and Hamas fighters, and that they killed most most of the hostages. And now this footage came out basically showing an Israeli tank firing on this uh, kibbutz. Uh, so just more evidence that the IDF was responsible for it. some of the civilian casualties on October 7th. All right, so the next one here, U.S. veto threat delays U.N. vote on Gaza ceasefire. So the U.N. Security Council, and this is something I meant to cover earlier in the week, uh, but I didn't get to it. They've been working on another ceasefire resolution, and the U.S. has just been delaying it, trying to water it down. Um, So this is another article from Kyle, and it says the White House threatened to veto a U.N. Security Council resolution that would call for a ceasefire in Gaza and set up an expedited inspection mechanism for bringing aid into Gaza. The U.S. is demanding that the resolution affirm Israel's right to to self-defense and that the part of the text calling for a ceasefire be changed. The vote was scheduled for Monday but has been delayed three times this week because of the U.S. veto threat. So the U.S. is seeking to change the text's reference to a cessation of hostilities and to putting the United Nations in charge of inspecting trucks to ensure that they are actually carrying humanitarian goods. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said Washington has two additional issues with the resolution. Kirby said, quote, It's important for us if the Security Council is going to speak on this that there's a condemnation of Hamas and what they did on October 7th. There's a recognition of the need for Israel to be able to defend itself. And there's, of course, significant commitment by all members on getting humanitarian assistance into the people of Gaza, end quote. So, I mean, they're just trying to delay this thing. And they're going to, if there's any sort of resolution with the, that calls for a ceasefire, the U.S. is going to veto it. So it seems like they're just trying to water it down as much as possible so they don't have to do that because it's just bad PR when when they veto these these resolutions for Israel, but they're going to keep doing it anyway. Um, <clears throat> all right, so the next one here, the U.S. privately moves to block international accountability for Gaza. So this article is from HuffPost, and it says, As bloodshed continues in Gaza, State Department officials are quietly working to stymie an attempt to spur global pressure to end the fighting there. U.S. Dip- diplomats are finalizing final. Excuse me. U.S. diplomats are finalizing a deep marque, a diplomatic initiative to their Swiss Swiss counterparts that Washington hopes will scuttle plans for a meeting to discuss violations of the Geneva Conventions in the current war between Israel and Hamas, the Gaza-based militant group, according to State Department documents seen by HuffPost. So they're trying to stop a conversation about Geneva Convention violations. Just another way they're trying to cover for Israel politically, you know, besides all the military support. That's another big way the U.S. backs Israel is by vetoing resolutions and trying to, you know, going after the the ICC when they wanted to investigate Israel. And now this. 
So the Geneva Conventions are the fundamental principles of international humanitarian law, which determine what actions are legal during a war. Every UN member state is party to some aspect of them, including the U.S. and Israel. Formal determinations that Israel has violated the conventions in its U.S.-backed offensive in Gaza against Hamas would represent a serious global condemnation of both countries and corroborate the claims of human rights groups who have gathered evidence they call proof of such violations. Historically neutral, Switzerland is the depository of the conventions, which means it determines when meetings of the parties involved are held to discuss compliance. Palestinian diplomats and a significant group of UN member states, including some European nations allied with the U.S., are preparing a call for Switzerland to launch such a conference focused on the fighting on Israel-Palestine that would cover Geneva conventions violated by all parties, according to these State Department documents. Um, Such conferences have previously been held in 1999, 2001, and 2014, all of them focused on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and the International Commission of Jurists are supporting the call for an urgent conference, and the Biden administration wants to ensure 2024 does not see a similar event. So they are going to lobby their Swiss counterparts to reject the request from the Palestinians and watchdog organizations. And what's interesting, again, this says that it's not just the Palestinians, also European allies of the U.S. are are pushing for this. Um, so the U.S. is really isolating itself by just backing this brutal slaughter in Gaza and and trying to give Israel all this political cover as well. Um, all right, so the next one here, officials say Israel is near full-scale full scale war with Hezbollah. So this is another article from Kyle, and it says Israeli officials said Tel Aviv is moving closer to a full-scale war with Hezbollah. The Israeli Defense Forces and Hezbollah have traded fire along the Lebanon-Israel border since October 7th. IDF spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Konrikis said Monday, quote, We are closer today to war with Hezbollah than we were yesterday. And the directive to the IDF is, of course, to enhance readiness to prepare and to be capable of defending Israeli civilians, end quote. At a separate event, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant explained that if restoring security in the area could not be implemented diplomatically, then we will not hesitate to act. And again, they're saying that Israel wants to push Hezbollah back from the border um, beyond this river that's about 18 miles north of the border. They're saying if they cannot reach a diplomatic solution, then they're basically threatening to invade Lebanon. Um, and it seems like they're pretty determined um, to to get what they want one way or another. And I know the, the U.S. is worried that Israel might try to provoke a, a big war in Lebanon, um, but still would probably just continue giving them military support anyway. Uh, all right. So the next one here, Israel says that it struck more positions in southern Lebanon and Syria. So Israel is continuing to launch airstrikes and and stuff in uh, Lebanon and Syria. So Israel's military has said its warplanes have struck another Hezbollah position in southern Lebanon. That came after Hezbollah today said it had targeted Israeli positions near Bet Hillel and Shtula. Israel's military also said it fired at fighters near a perimeter fence in the area of Matula. In another incident, 
Israel said it returned fire after four launches from Syria were detected in the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights area. So they also uh, were shelling Syria. Um, So this, you know, it's almost every day it seems like that Israel and Hezbollah exchanged this fire across the border. Um, And, you know, it could really explode into a full-scale war. I have to let you guys know about our fundraiser at antiwar.com. I almost forgot about that. Um, so if you go to antiwar.com slash donate, you can see the different ways you can support us. And this is how antiwar.com gets by. We are entirely reader funded. So if you like this show, if you uh, appreciate what I do and you have the means, please help us out with our fundraiser. We're doing pretty good. Uh, and, you know, once we get this complete, then we could focus on our work. We still have matching funds in effect. So that means every dollar you donate will be doubled. So again, antiwar.com slash donate. And it's almost the end of the year. Whatever you give us, you can write off of your taxes. That's another benefit because we're a nonprofit. That means less of your money um, going to fund the war machine and going to fund all these horrific things that the U.S. government is involved in. All right, so the next story here, Arab states steer clear of anti-Houthi naval task force. So this article is from uh, Middle East Eye, and basically it's just saying that, you know, the the big, the big two big countries that are, are not involved in this task force are Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Saudi Arabia has a very big coast on the Red Sea, and Saudi Arabia has been... Uh, at war with the Houthis, although they there's been the ceasefire that's held since April 2022. And basically, this article just gets into reasons why the other Arab countries are not joining this task force. And I think when it comes to the Saudis and the UAE, both of them fear that the Houthis could start targeting their oil facilities. The Houthis got very good at uh, hitting oil infrastructure in both countries, especially Saudi Arabia. I mean, they've they've done some big attacks. And that was one of the reasons why the Saudis ended up entering peace talks, you know, uh, decided to bring that war to an end um, was because of the missile and drone attacks on their oil infrastructure. So they're definitely afraid of that happening again. So it goes to show the Houthis do have a lot of uh, power in the region right now at this point. So we'll see how it all plays out. And then the last story here, EU manages a muddled message of support for Ukraine. This article is from Responsible Statecraft, and it says the EU Council Summit of December 14th to the 15th offered a significant, if perhaps mainly symbolic, gesture toward Ukraine in agreeing to the formal opening of accession negotiations. So that's about Ukraine's membership in the EU. But at the same meeting, the bloc failed to approve financial support for Ukraine for the four-year period through 2027, amounting to 50 billion euros. Approval of this aid was vetoed by Hungary. So the EU has been working to get this 50 billion euro aid package to Ukraine for a while now. Uh, You know, it seems like uh, it's just been going on for a long time. And this is 50 billion euros over a four-year period that Ukraine would receive. And they still haven't been able to get it through. And it, it's Hungary is the one that's the big one that's been blocking it. But I know now I believe Slovakia is against not just the military aid, but also financial aid to Ukraine. So that could also be a problem. Um, 
because with the U.S. Uh, aid drying up, you know, the EU was thought to maybe be able to fill some gaps, but they're still just not able to pass this. Um, all right, so that's it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Branko March Teach. In Gaza, the next generation of radicalization begins. One from Ted Snyder. The UN General Assembly just rebuked U.S. hegemony. One from Ramsey Baroud. Let it be a tale on Rafat Alir and the martyrdom of the Gaza intellectual. One from Mihai Makovey. President Biden is wrong. Military spending does not produce wealth. And one from Doug Bandow. Trump is right about North Korea. Um, so I hope that was all right. I know I'm kind of out of it. I was stumbling over some words and stuff, but I should be back in uh, good shape tomorrow. I think I finally have beaten this thing. Uh, but please, again, help us with our fundraiser. Um, I have a, We have a long weekend coming up. We're taking off for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, so next week, there's going to be three episodes of this show. Um, but anyway, I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.